You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we continue in Leviticus, or not Leviticus, we finished that a while ago, in Titus this evening. Titus chapter 2, so I invite you to turn there, Titus chapter 2, it's on page 998 if you're in a pew Bible. We'll be looking at verse 12. Paul's letters, you may notice, are titled by the recipient. Romans to the church in Rome, Corinthians, Ephesians. Here it's a letter written to Titus. You notice other New Testament letters are titled by the author, John and Peter and so forth. But this we know is written to Titus, a, a man who Paul left as his apostolic delegate on an island of Crete. After they administered there together, Paul left him behind. Paul had other ministry to attend to and called Titus to continue the work there of ministry to the believers in Crete. He's encouraging him to be faithful and calling the church to growth, this, this early young church there calling them to be faithful to Christ and teaching them about the Christian life. Well, we come to Titus 2, 12 this evening. We'll read verses 11 and 12 for our purposes to get the context. So hear now the word of the Lord from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce godliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. As you've noticed, we're slowing down in these four verses, verses 11 through 14, and really through 15 as well, to help us stop and soak up as much of what Paul is teaching as we can And these four verses really provide the theological foundation for the commands that Paul had just given to the church, calling them to be faithful in their callings, whether older men or younger men, older women or younger women, calling them wherever you are, whatever station in life you are, there's a calling upon your life to be faithful to God and to love your neighbor. And he gave them very particular directions. And now he moves out to really the the foundation for that. Why are we to obey God? Why are we to be faithful to Christ in our lives? In verse 11, we saw that Christ has come, this grace of God, as Paul calls it. Christ has appeared and he's brought salvation, a a holistic salvation, a salvation that includes our, our forgiveness of our sin, justification. It includes right now in our present life as he's making us more holy day by day, sanctification. And it also includes a, a future aspect of glorification, that future hope we have with Christ in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. So this holistic salvation, this complete salvation has been brought by Christ, he says, for all people. The offer of the gospel is for all. All are called to come to Christ. And as we now turn to verse 12, the, the, the pronoun has changed. It's not just for all people, but now he's focusing on us. Us, a move from all, the offer of the gospel goes to all, to us. And who is the us? It is, he's writing this to the believers, writing this to Titus and the church here in Crete, those trusting in Christ. 
So the offer of the gospel is for all, but these promises of what salvation is belong to only the church, only those who belong to Christ. How Christ changes his people. And so, see, now looks at us, those who, who have salvation, partakers of the salvation. What does he say to them? Well, he says, this grace of God that has appeared is training us. Christ is training us, this ongoing reality. This word training was used in Greek culture to speak of that entirety of the process of preparing a child to live as a virtuous adult. It's a training process. It's a process of of inculcating virtue, of teaching them how to be an adult. It's the whole process from, from cradle to now when they're out on their own. They're very intentional with their schooling, with their instruction, their teaching, every part of society was, was, it was, was inculcating what, is, what does it mean to be a good citizen to children. This training was very important to Greek culture, but it also meant something in Jewish culture. This training was the way of raising children to know and follow Yahweh, to follow God. We would call this catechesis, not in the strictest sense of teaching the catechism, but in all of our life, teaching our children what it means to glorify God, what it means to honor him, what it means that he comes in Christ to offer salvation to all. So we're bringing children up from a young age to show them who God is. So this word training now really puts us in the position of being children. Those who are trained are children, both in the Greek culture and in the Jewish culture. culture. And so here, we are being trained. So we are now considered children. We are the ones who are the recipients of this work of Christ as we are called to be children. We are called to pursue a life-encompassing regimen of learning and growth and change. We never graduate from the catechesis of Jesus Christ. We're always being trained by him. We're always learning and growing. It never comes to an end. This is an ongoing process for the Christian. It's our growth in godliness, our growth in obedience, our growth in flourishing, our growth in virtue, our growth in every good way. So how are we trained? How are we trained? Training can sometimes have a harsh Uh, a harsh vision attached with it. Maybe you think of Rocky and the training that he underwent. This training is training by grace. It is the grace of God that is training us. It's not the law of God that's training us. We're not being beaten over the head. No, it's, it's not whipping ourselves. We're not being trained by the law beating us down. We're not being trained by heaping upon ourselves guilt so that we will hopefully change our behavior. We're not being trained by minimizing the law and dumbing down God's standards to make them more attainable. No, this training is doing something more fundamental to us. The grace of God has done something more effective than all of these methods. Grace changes us at the heart level. This is not behavior modification only. This is changing us at the root and our hearts, our desires, our thoughts. Christ is training us at the deepest level. This grace of God is none other than Christ Jesus himself. Jesus Christ in his redemptive work 
is the one who trains us. And if you skip down to verse 14, you see Jesus is the one who redeems us and the one who purifies us. Those are simply the themes that, that he's speaking of here as well. It is this grace of God who's appeared, Jesus Christ himself, who's training us, teaching us, changing our hearts. It's a tender, loving, caring, training by Christ. And even more than that, this is an empowering by Christ. Christ enabling us to obey. Practically here, Paul's teaching us that we're not simply forgiven of our sins and then left on our own for the Christian life. We're not forgiven of our sins and then said, all right, go off and, and do the best you can. Let's see how it goes. Paul's reminding us here that every step of the way, it is Christ himself who is at work in our lives. We are not forgiven and justified by Christ and then left on our own to figure out the Christian life. Grace tra trains us to grow in the Christian life. And Paul has really two points here. As this grace is training us, first, we're growing and renouncing. And second, we're growing and living. And you see that very clearly, right? We're training us to first renounce. What are we renouncing? What are we to renounce as we grow? Renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. This is probably self-explanatory to many who've been around the church for much time. Any ungodliness, anything that is sinful, anything that is an offense to God, we are to renounce. Any worldly passions, he reminds us that often the passions that we have, the desires that we have, the things that drive us are not often, they're not always godly, biblical, Christ-like things. He's reminding us that we actually are in the world and the world is training our desires. The old man of sin is still at war within us. And so our desires are not always oriented correctly. We still, even though we look to Christ, there are worldly passions within us. What are some of these passions? Well, I think we think in our day of age of sexual passions of various kinds. These things are worldly passions. They're not oriented correctly towards a spouse. Other passions of, of greed, these desiring, coveting even, wealth and power, or maybe even a family. Like that family is so much more put together and better than mine. Why, are, why am I not like this? Or, or maybe you're not married yet, or maybe you don't have children yet, and you're, and you're saying, this is how my family must be one day. These worldly passions of perfection, of, of thinking I have to have it all together to prove how good I am. There's some worldly passions of violence even, whether it's physical violence or emotional violence, a manipulation of others. There are these worldly passions that make me want to control other people so that I come out ahead, I come out on top. Or anger. I say, I need this thing that I want and I will be enraged to control and manipulate you if I don't get what I want. All of these are worldly passions and ungodliness. And so Christ calls us, Christ is training us to renounce these things, to renounce our own sin, to disavow them, to keep distance from them, to repudiate and to repent of them all. This renouncing includes both word and deed. 
word and deed. First, we renounce in word because we cannot use ungodliness and worldly passions to define us, to identify ourselves, to name ourselves. If we identify ourselves by these ungodly and worldly passions, we're denying the grace of God to operate upon us and in us. So we deny these things in word, but also in deed. We turn away from our sin. This is repentance. This is turning from our sin unto God. We no longer, we seek to no longer practice them. Do we have the ongoing practice of renouncing our sins? We have a weekly confession of sin, which is a great first step in that. Do we renounce our sins? Do we say, I hate that sin, I turn from that sin, that is no longer who I am. That is the old man, but in Christ I'm a new creation. Yes, the old man is at war with the new man in Christ, but that does not have the final say. That sin does not identify the Christian any longer. What sins do you still identify with and refuse to renounce? Now, this doesn't mean we're not honest with our struggles, right? This doesn't mean that we don't say, yes, I struggle with a particular sin of anger or whatever it is. We certainly acknowledge that. And as we acknowledge it, we say, I hate it and I want to turn from it. We renounce it. But this isn't us trying to pretend like everything's okay because we all are waging war with sin every day. But that sin, we renounce. We're honest about our ongoing struggles, but we do not coddle sin. We do not let it have the power to name us. We renounce all sin and do not identify with sin. Renounce it. This is where we get to a point that's somewhat controversial even in our own circles today. Even in the Reformed world, there's lots of discussion about how do we talk about sins that are an ongoing struggle. And one of those areas is Christians who decide to call themselves or describe themselves as gay Christians. Now, some people call themselves gay Christians because they mean they accept the entirety of homosexuality and they practice it fully and willingly, but they still call upon Christ. That's not what I'm speaking of tonight. And there's a lot there that we need to talk about how that is not the design of humankind from creation. That is not good and that is not a rightly ordered desire and it needs to be renounced. But there are others who use that terminology to speak of the fact that they often struggle with same-sex attraction. They are desiring sexually people of their own sex. And so they'll call themselves gay Christian. They say it's not good, but yet at the same time they say, I am a gay Christian because I struggle with these things. And I think it's a very laudable position to have, wanting to struggle against sin. Absolutely, but I do want to challenge that position and say, are you fully renouncing the sin if you're going to call yourself by that name? Or is it going to take you renouncing that entire identity to say, I am no longer a gay person. I'm not going to describe myself in that way because I belong to Christ. I'm going to renounce any ungodly and worldly passion, whatever it is, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's anger, whether it's a a, a sexual perversion, I renounce all of it and I will not describe myself by it. That's what Paul's calling us to, to not let that identify yourself, to renounce it 
And as Paul says elsewhere, you were all these terrible things. He lists all the terrible sins that people in the church used to commit. And he says, such were some of you. You were these things. You don't describe yourselves by them anymore. You may still stumble into sin and fall into sin, but that is not how you describe yourself. You're in a glorious place now because you are in Christ. You are redeemed. You are a saint and no longer need to call yourself by a worldly passion. So we must renounce and we grow in renouncing any and all sin, all ungodliness, all worldly passions within us. But we don't just renounce. This is not merely a negative exercise because always when we're called to turn from sin, we're always called to turn unto something. Where are we going? And this is where Paul says, we're trained to renounce, but also we're trained to live. So second here, we grow in living. We grow in living. We're called to live or to have life even. And this comparison and contrast here with, with renouncing shows us that sin is death. Right? It is life to renounce these things. There is life in Christ apart from sin. Sin only leads to death and destruction. But this is true life that the believer has. The us, the church, those who call on Christ, there is real life there. That life is because of our union with Christ. He is life. He's come to have life to give us life and an abundant life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ himself is our life. And so this life we live is because of our union with Christ. We are now alive. We're no longer dead. It gives particular directions what this living is like. We're to live, three, three adjectives here, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Many commentators point out that there's three kind of dimensions here that are, that are noted. First is self-control, and it's an internal dimension, a self-oriented dimension, where we are called to live in harmony with ourselves in the right way that we were designed to live. We're called to live self-controlled. So it's an internal orientation. The second one is upright, or maybe another translation would be righteous, to live righteous lives. And this is towards other people, a horizontal Way. We, are toward, we are to be righteous towards other people and build them up and encourage them and love them. And then the last one is godly. And this is a, the vertical between us and God to, to live in a Godward direction, to live a holy life before God. So you see, we have the, the internal, ourself, the, the outside, the other people and horizontal, and then the upward with God. All three of these facets of our life are called, we're called to live in in a way that is glorifying and honoring to God. So we repudiate that which is sin, and then we live in this positive direction in Christ. And he says we do this in the present age. In the present age, in this world, as he has already said, with the passions that still assault us, as we are weak and prone to sin, but this struggle will come to an end. He says, this present age, this is a time of struggle and fighting, but that time will come to an end and we'll get to that next time, so we're not going to go down that road too far. In this age, there's struggle and strife. In this age, we must work to renounce and we must pursue living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives day after day after day. Paul is showing us here that Christ is profoundly at work in us. 
think of some of the best athletes of all time. You can think of maybe your Tom Brady or LeBron James, whoever your favorite is. If you ever watch documentaries of these sports figures, or maybe they've received an MVP award and they give a little speech or something. When you hear them talk about their upbringing and talk about what's made them so great, oftentimes they'll talk about coaches, right? The coaches typically are, are a footnote in their lives because we understand in the sports context that, that oftentimes these, these elite athletes are just equipped with great raw talent. They're just amazing people. And they have coaches, yes, but they've kind of funneled the energy in the right direction. They've come and developed the resources that have already been there. And this is how we think of training often. Raw resources are there, and we have a coach who helps funnel it in the right direction. But that is not the training of which Paul speaks of here. That is not the Christian life. It's not like we're found with some good in us and Jesus says, well, I guess that's gonna do. I'll train that up and and do the best I can with that. That is not the training that is going on in our lives. Any good that we can do was completely wrought by God's spirit in us. There's no raw materials of good in us at all. This training is not just training what's already there, but it's empowering us. It's giving us anything good and everything good that we have. After Christ's training of us, all growth is attributed to him in his grace by his Holy Spirit. It's his training that gives us the very capacity to do any good. And it continues to mold and shape us, shapes us to grow. And as we've said, this is all of grace. The Christian life is all of grace. It is not, as we've already said, God saving us and plumbing us down says, all right, run to the finish line on your own. It is all of God's gift, God's doing, God's action. I think practically this helps us as Christians to not be discouraged. Because I think sanctification, this growth in holiness, is the place where Christians most get discouraged in our lives, is it not? We often feel like, is anything happening? Am I really growing in holiness at all? I fall into the same sin over and over and over. I don't see God at work in my life. We can rejoice in our justification. It's done. It's finished. We can look to the empty tomb and realize it is done for me. My eternity is secure. And we can look to the the promise in God's word of Christ's return, and we can be filled with great anticipation and joy. But we're left in the here and now so often just wondering, what's happening? Is God really here? Is God really at work in my life? Is he really sanctifying me? Because I don't feel it. I don't feel the nearness and the work of Christ in my life. But Paul reminds us here, God is more concerned about your sanctification than you are. God is more concerned about your sanctification than you are. And yes, praise the Lord that we are concerned about our sanctification and we strive for sanctification and we strive to grow. We we die to sin daily and we live more and more into righteousness, but not in our own strength. It's because of God's work in us. And God will not leave his people alone. He is training. There's no caveat there. Christ is training his people. This is true right here and right now. Even if you don't feel it, even if you feel absolutely dead after the past week, Christ is at work in you. Don't forget it. Don't pretend he's not there. Don't think you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Christ is at work. And turn to him. Look to him. And because, only because he's at work in us, now we can take every opportunity to renounce ungodliness 
and worldly passions. Now we can take every opportunity to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Because we know it's not us doing this ultimately. We're doing this enabled by the grace of God, working in our lives every day. In light of God's work training us and enabling us, we are called, as he says in verse 10, to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. God our Savior has done it. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and he is still at work. So let's adorn that with godly living, with renouncing sin and living to righteousness. We see this is not a quietism. This is not a quietistic Christian life where we just kind of let go and let God. I can't control it. I don't have any good. I can't do anything. That's not at all what's being said here. This is, you can because you are enabled by grace. Fight with everything we have for godliness, for it is Christ by his spirit at work in us. Look to him. Fall on your knees before him, knowing he is the one training you even at this very moment. Say, Christ, I need you to train me. I want to grow in godliness and holiness. And he is more concerned about your sanctification than you are. And he will be at work as he is today. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.